0: If you believe that you don't deserve to be in a healthy body then you probably will act in line with that so therefore you will follow a diet for a week and then self-sabotage because that's your belief. Your gut and your brain are connected by what we call the vagus nerve so when we're like basically a fetus your gut and your brain like connected and they kind of separate so it's really cool which is why for example when you get nervous you get butterflies in your tummy. When I was younger I didn't talk about my mental health. I was like oh that's like scary and weird. My family didn't talk about it so I just didn't talk about it. Finding a psychologist is dating right like you're not going to find perfect match straight off I'm a hard worker but I used to be like stupidly hard working like type A like I need to get HDs or I fail
1: how do you coach people to develop that balance between that intuitive eating with you know a little bit of discipline and instruction to diet without you start having a negative view of food and you're scared to eat
0: I'd really kind of look into what their relationship with food is and why it's like that so oftentimes it comes into diet culture and social media and things but then also maybe family and, and the way that they're nurtured or brought up optimising your diet can definitely help with you managing certain depressive and also anxiety symptoms too. Taking a step back, simplifying everything and actually getting the right information is so, so important.
1: Over the past few years, my life has completely changed. I've built one of Australia's most successful e-commerce startups, Happy Skin Co. Generating over 10 million per year in sales and disrupting a billion dollar industry in the process. I've now turned my passion for growth and personal development to bring you these honest and eye-opening conversations. This isn't just a business podcast. This is about the person underneath. This is about the journey. This is what it's really like. I'll be interviewing guests from all walks of life, each with their own unique perspectives and experiences, from the hardest day of their life to the biggest accomplishments and everything in between. My name is Dylan Mullen, and this is Life, Money & Love. All right, let's go. We are back again. Episode 15. These episodes are piling up really quickly. So a uh, different episode today. I'm so excited for this one. We have Alice Bleethman on the podcast, who is a qualified dietitian. So I know I've got plenty of questions. And then we had some questions submitted from guests. Uh, no, from, from some of the followers last night for Alice that we'll get to a little bit later in the pod. So make sure you hang around for that. But Alice, thank you for coming. I've obviously been checking out your content, doing some research on you. I love all the work you've been putting out, your positivity and your attitude to, to your field. So thanks for coming on.
0: Pleasure, Dylan. That's very lovely. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I love chatting about this stuff. So let's go for it. Let's
1: go. Look, there's yeah. a lot I want to talk to you about. But first place I want to start is yes. just who is Alice? Kind of like what's been your journey to get where you are today? Mm-hmm. Um, where you started and kind of what, what ended up like drawing you to be a dietitian and explore this whole purpose with content and and everything you've learned about nutrition and, and why that called to you. I know you grew up in Tassie and then yeah. moved to Melbourne. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear kind of that whole journey to how you got um, where you are now.
0: Oh, so, okay. Well, I mean, I grew up in Tassie, mm-hmm. so I've always been like a active yeah. teacher, love going outside, whatever, all that kind of jazz. And then I, I struggled a lot when I was like you know, when you're at school and with your relationship with food and body image and all that kind of stuff, and it was, it, it became a little bit um, overpowering to an extent. And I didn't really think about it because I was like, oh, that's kind of normal. Like it does, doesn't, you know, it's kind of normalized. I was in a private girls' school. So then I saw like a couple of dietitians and I was like, I'm not loving it. Like, yeah. I'm not loving these dietitians. They're not great. They're just telling me, like, what to do, and I don't want to do it. So, it was kind of like a very short lived relationship with a dietitian when I was, like, early on during school. And then when I finished school, I wanted to be a doctor. I was like, I want to be a doctor because, like, that's cool. And, like, that's what smart people do. And, yeah. like, whatever, <laughs> like, you know, all that kind of stuff you tell you got tell oh, them I'll, as I'll a kid. A story, yeah. Um, and then I was like, but I just, I feel like I need to have a gap year because. I don't know. I had a glandular fever. I was like, so, so tired at yeah, the end of year yeah. 12. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to have gap year, go to Europe, blah, blah, blah. Um, and came back and I was like, why do I want to be a doctor? Like, yeah. And then I just realized, I was like, I actually don't want to be a doctor. So I applied for like a nutrition degree in Melbourne and because they don't have um, nutrition degrees in Tasmania. Oh, really.
1: Yeah. And I was like, by the time you get back from Europe after four months, you're like, I don't want to leave here anymore. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> you always kind of have that? Like thing you want to kind of get out of Taz and yeah. I was and I was never
0: a small person. I was like, I want to do yeah. big things. Like I want to change the world. That was like one of my things. Like someone asked me, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to change the world. I didn't yeah. know what that looked like. I At didn't know what, what that meant. Did you start thinking that? You like think? young, that's like sick. eight. That's it. It was weird. And nowadays I think about it, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It, like – I used to think that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so then I went to Melbourne and studied nutrition dietetics for five years and I was sick. I loved it, like really immersed myself into like that whole uni experience. Yeah. Um, and then I guess like when I, when I was in placement, <laughs> I, my placements didn't go fantastically okay. because I wasn't tick boxy. I yeah. didn't like being told what to do and not to a point where it was like, um, I was like unethical or anything yeah, like that yeah, in the hospitals, yeah. but I was like, no, but like, that, that won't work for that person. like. Yep. And I was I was, I was was quite abstract in my thinking when I was yeah. consulting and stuff. And I guess, like, when you're at uni, like, tick box, tick box, tick box, tick box, you have yeah. to do all these criteria or whatever. And so, like, when I left, I was kind of like, I kind of want to start my own business because I don't really want to work under that, um, I guess – uh, house or, or sort of scaffolds of, of of thinking. And so then I kind of moved to Sydney because I got this like contractual yeah. job and I was like, okay, look, I'll just move to Sydney, whatever. It was just before COVID. So I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to Sydney. Um, yeah. And then like started my own business there alongside that sort of contractual role and then just kept going.
1: And I just, I don't know, I just kind of like winged it. <laughs> did you Did you find like kind of it sounds like that experience you had with a dietitian when you were younger and then on yes. your placements – do you find that a lot of the time it like some of the industry was a little bit cookie-cutter approach yes, to people? absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what I realised when I was in place and I was like this is not how it works. Like this yep. isn't should have. I think because my experience with like disordered eating, poor body image and then having a dietitian who was like basically like you just have to eat. Yeah, I was like that's so wrong. Like it doesn't yeah. make sense. And I've experienced mental health issues before in my, in my past and I just was so like I just didn't think about it. I just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I have to do something else. I'm,
1: I'm pretty uneducated when it comes to diet and nutrition outside yeah. of my lived experience. Like I've, I've always been into fitness and sports yeah. and health, but I've never done a lot of research other than trying different things and, and, and evaluating what works for me. And a lot of the time people would have asked me, Hey, like, how are you like lean? How do you do to this? And I'll say like, I can tell you it's yeah. probably, it's in no way scientific or right. It's what worked for me. But what works for me won't work for you or Joe or like you, anyone, everyone, I feel like responds to food so differently, right?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's all as well, like not. Not necessarily just the person responding to food, but it's also everyone's different. Everyone's lives are different. Everyone's resources, history, family history, everything is so different. So you can't cookie cutter it. It just doesn't make sense. Do genetics
1: play much of a role in that as well? Yeah.
0: I mean, I guess it depends on what their goals are and things like that. But genetics from, I guess, a, um, like nature nurture, like Mm -hmm. both of those play a role. So like how you're brought up and also genetically what your, your body size is and what your, um, biochemistry is and even your your motivation like that's genetic to a point too so there's so many different things one
1: question i have and i'm not sure if you'll be able to answer it because again like you don't like taking that cookie cutter approach but there's a lot of different like philosophies or mindsets people kind of take towards nutrition and diet like Mm. for example some people are like you know 100% dialed in on macros whereas some people and it doesn't matter it's calories in versus calories out. other people is you know food is simply fuel what kind of System or mindset approach? Can, ha, can have you found that works best for you, or mm. kind of the best for most clients that you work with?
0: Yeah. Well, I work with a lot of women, in particular, mm-hmm. with poor relationships or challenged relationship with food. Yeah. So for me, it's all about honing in on and listening to yourself, and yeah. listening to your body, and listening to what your body wants and needs. But then as well, like in in terms of intuitive eating, it's not just eating whatever you want. It's also being really compassionate and nurturing yourself. So yeah. being like, look, I feel like a burger right now. But also, like, you know, I haven't had a vegetable in three days, so, like, I'm going to nurture my body. I'm going to have a vegetable and be really compassionate in that sense, but not from a restrictive angle, more from a self-love angle and self-respect. How do do
1: you coach people to develop that balance between that intuitive eating with, you know, a little bit of discipline and structure to diet without being, like, super overcritical and taking it to the point where – you start having a negative view of food and you're scared of you're mm-hmm. scared to eat. It's
0: so hard. Yeah. yeah. Well firstly, the first thing I would say is like, you know, I'd I'd really kind of look into what their relationship food is and why mm-hmm. it's like that. So if they have a fear of certain carbohydrates, like yeah. ask them like, what's wrong with these carbohydrates? Like what's so bad about these carbohydrates? And oftentimes it comes into diet culture and social media and things, but then also maybe family and and the way that they were nurtured or brought up. So yeah kind of figuring out what's actually going on and then building a bit of a picture from there and then getting curious and getting um, curious with both internal and external cues. So, for example intuitive eating hunger fullness scale. So having a week where every time before you eat, check in with yourself and go, am I hungry? How am I feeling emotionally? And what am I going to do to respond to that? So for example, like emotional eating is a really common thing and it's not a bad thing to emotionally eat. Like everyone emotionally eats sometimes when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're bored. But then also checking in with yourself as to why you might be turning to this food and whether this food is actually going to support you Mm -hmm. long-term, short-term, whatever. Yeah. It's very complex um, and it depends on the person as well. And it also depends, I guess there's disordered eating and then there's eating disorders. So it's very, very different. That's
1: one question I wanted to, to ask you. Can you explain to, to me and to people listening um, the difference between an eating disorder yeah. and uh, disordered eating? Because I found that really interesting yeah. to hear the way you explain the difference and there obviously is a really like clear yeah, example of there is. a difference yeah. between both.
0: So everyone who has an eating disorder has disordered eating mm-hmm. and eating disorder is a mental illness. So an eating disorder, you are diagnosed, there are certain criteria. It's, um, you know, there's lots of different ones. So there's anorexia, which is a really common one um, that people know a lot about. And then there's binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, orthorexia as well. And then there's like non-specified eating disorder. So one that's like not really categorized as such. That one
1: that you just said, orthorexia or something, is something I only very recently heard. Can you explain what that is? And yeah, because, yeah, what that is, it's like really strictly – you, you explain it way yeah. better than me.
0: Yeah. So orthorexia is a common – like a new term that's yeah. just recently been built into this sort of um, diagnostic criteria. And it's basically a mental uh, – sort of an eating disorder where you're preoccupied with eating clean or eating perfectly. So it can – there's a range, but it can be somebody who, for example, doesn't want to have processed foods or yeah. can only have green foods or can only have, you know, foods that are non-packaged um, or uh, mm. foods that don't have oils in so all foods that they have to know where it's come from. So there's lots of different elements of that, but basically it's just a way of controlling their intake. Yeah. And for some, it might look healthy. And for for example, in social media, like, you might see them as, oh, that person's really healthy. Like yeah. she's only having filtered water and green smoothies, but that's really disordered. And the reason being is because what happens if they go out for lunch or dinner or what happens if, you know, they have to do something else? How do they deviate from that? And that causes a lot of anxiety. Yeah, and- I
1: was going to – the next question was going to be, is it always a negative thing? I suppose it's yeah. how you let that like bleed into the rest of your life because I would look back at a period of my life when I was probably early 20s, I was going to the gym six days a week and there was probably two years of my life – where I would have a cheat meal maybe once every three months. Mm. And I never thought it was a, a bad thing and I never struggled with, but looking back and that now and like I just, cause I'm still into fitness and still into training and I'd love to be as lean as I was then, but it's like the trade-off oh, isn't it's worth, not it. worth it. It's <laughs> not worth it. You <laughs> no, know what right? I mean?
0: Yeah. It's hard. Um what I would say is if you, you can eat very healthy mm-hmm. and it be non-disordered, like you yep. can be a healthy eater, when it becomes an issue is firstly, if you're cutting out certain macronutrients or vitamins and minerals you're becoming deficient, if for example, you're lacking energy because you're cutting out all these things, if you're having not enough calories, so therefore you're losing a lot of weight, but then also from a social aspect or a psychological aspect, if you're getting really anxious about going out for dinner or going out for breakfast or having foods with other people or eating in in, in kind of um, in presence with other people, yeah. like that's when it becomes a little bit disordered. Yeah. And, is a big slippery slope as well. Yeah,
1: talk to me about that because it's like becoming increasingly common, I feel, and I'm, I'm sure you would know that a lot more people, probably more women than, than men and that you would work mm. with, that guilt and emotion starts getting attached to eating. Can you kind of explain that to me or talk to that a little bit?
0: Mm. Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, like having certain foods and feeling
1: guilty for yeah. having these foods. Yeah.
0: yeah. So when, when we struggle, I mean, the reason why we might have guilt around food is – It's so complex. So, for example, you might have guilt because somebody said that that's a bad thing to have or you might have guilt because you have a goal to lose weight and therefore that plus that equals that. You know, having these sort of very black and white thinking, that's a very common reason as to why we might feel guilty around having certain foods. And really, I think when it comes to sort of that intuitive eating and that intuitive angle, it's being okay and having all foods that fit. You know, yeah. all foods are okay. And taking all these foods off a pedestal and just being like, it's food, it's okay, yeah. it's fine. But when people pair certain foods with good or bad, then that can become yeah. really unhealthy because then they might have a food, for example, that's quote unquote bad, feel so much guilt, so much anxiety. And that can result in things like binge eating, for example, because of the shame and the guilt associated with that food experience or restrictive eating because they're so scared. Mm to have that food because it's bad and therefore they are bad. So there's a lot
1: of different things that come up. All of this seems like it's links back to, and this is only something like a phrase that sorts of become kind of like, if you look at Google Trends, how much this had been researched in the last like 18 months to two years, um, like relationship to food is something that I've heard, like that term spoken a lot. Can you, for people that don't really understand it, how would you define someone's relationship to food? And what are some of the factors that whether it be like subconscious earlier on in childhood that can start to negatively influence people's relationship to food. And then I'd love to know what are some strategies or tips or mindset adjustments that people can make to slowly as a process, start making that a more positive Mm. and a more healthy relationship. Yeah.
0: And I think the first thing I'll say is the With COVID, especially, Mm -hmm. we have seen a huge rise in people's relationship with food being a little bit disordered, slash, also developing eating disorders. So that's probably why there has been. But then also, I think that people are becoming more interested in that side of things and realizing that, you know, a couple of years ago, all these things that are on social media, for example, maybe weren't so healthy. And they're actually wanting to look for optimizing their relationship with food. And I guess a relationship with food is really just what you think about food and also your – I guess your perception around food and what you're eating and what your diet is like. Like that's basically what it is. So people who have a challenged relationship with food feel bad about certain foods or bad about certain diets or feel guilty about eating. And people who have a good relationship with food basically just feel freedom. Yep. Like, yep, food yeah. is food. That's okay. Yep. Moving on. It's not the end of the world. It's fine. Like, it's yeah. just food. So I guess, like, in terms of what we can do to improve our relationship with food, what I would say is firstly just sharing it with people about how what you think about food. For mm-hmm. example, if you feel like you are struggling with your relationship with food, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a partner, tell a dietitian. Be like, yeah. hey, like I'm really struggling with my relationship with food right now. I feel guilty. I feel anxious about certain foods. It's really important to share it because unless if you share it, it's kind of gets stuck yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I guess, what you can do from a tangible angle, unfollow accounts that make you feel like crap, to be honest, because there's a lot of accounts that make me feel like crap. So I'm yeah. like, I, I can't understand somebody who hasn't worked on their relationship with food how it might make them feel as well. And if you feel like seeing a dietitian or a nutritionist, just to get that information and that knowledge, because sometimes it's not necessarily just working on your internal mindset, but also we are so confused. Like, are carbohydrates bad? I don't know. Like, are carbohydrates, I do, but like, are fat's bad? Like, it's all this kind of stuff. So sometimes there's just so much information out there. Just like taking a step back, simplifying everything and actually getting the right information is so, so important to work towards
1: that. That's the thing, right? If I'm, I'm very lucky that I haven't really thought about food too much in my life. But if, if I was like, it's like, you get so overwhelmed by the amounts of information that's out there. Like I have debates with people all the time about different sorts of diets and not debates as in like, I never really get too invested. I don't care. I I, like for for me, for in one example, like I haven't ate, like I'm vegetarian. I haven't eaten meat for like almost three years and other, like you see the rise of like the vegan diet's been becoming a massive thing and that was really healthy and then it's really unhealthy and now like carnivore is like the new phase that is like, no, this is how you should eat. Like you could find an answer and an argument yep. to every single <laughs> yeah. diet on the planet is the best or it's the worst. What? How do people navigate that? And then I'd love to hear kind of your own personal thoughts on uh, like a vegan diet or a plant-based diet yeah. versus all meat diets.
0: Yeah. So I guess when it comes to like these fad diets, right? Yeah. So the carnivore diet, the Atkins diet, the paleo diet, they're all fad diets yeah. because they take – they often are very um, biased, for example, and they take lots of elements from a diet, like take it out and basically give you this whole like thing on a plane and be like, Here, Yeah, eat this and you will live forever or whatever yeah. the, the, the aim is. When it comes to deciphering whether it's a, a good diet, bad diet, fad diet, whatever – If it restricts a lot of foods, I would say it's probably a fad diet. Yeah. Yeah. And if it also has certain rules and if it's not scientifically backed, like keto isn't necessarily scientifically backed for the whole population. Yeah. I guess like on a side note, keto was developed to help kids with epilepsy. Yeah, And so like now it's been extrapolated to like everybody on the planet and like here, eat keto and you will be fine. It's like, well, not somebody who has like high cholesterol and high blood pressure will probably do very poorly off the yeah. keto diet. Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, basically anything that kind of cookie-cutters you into this, like, you have to eat this and therefore you'll be good is probably a fad diet. Yeah. Um, and then what was your second question again?
1: Um, um like, the compel- what, like, yeah, like, compare it to, like, a vegan diet because it's very controversial. Some yeah. people think it's the best. Some people think it's the worst. From what I've looked yeah. into you, you obviously promote a balanced diet, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's your thoughts on, like, fully plant-based diets as well? Because I know yeah. there'll be some people out there that – I'm super into that.
0: Absolutely. So I would say that I am supportive of a plant-based diet mm-hmm. for many reasons. The first one is from a sustainability yeah. angle. Like it's really much better for the environment. The other thing is ethically. Like if you want to be on a plant-based diet because you don't like the fact that animals being killed, like yeah. fantastic, go for your yeah. life. Yeah. Obviously when you're on a plant-based diet, you are missing out on some vitamins and minerals. Yeah. For example, iron and B12 Oftentimes people who are on a plant-based diet naturally have lower levels because you can't really get that much from a vegetarian or Mm plant-based diet. Vegetarian, a little bit different, mostly plant-based. So B12 in particular, it's pretty impossible to get enough, so you have to supplement with it. Um, I guess in terms of – the overall nutrition composition of plant-based diets like phenomenal in terms of antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, except for those ones that I mentioned Um, fiber as well. So fiber is really important for our gut health. It's really important for reducing things like bowel cancers or diverticulitis or um, optimizing just our general, I guess, well-being in terms of our gut. So it's really, really great. The other thing I guess to say is though, like if you, for example, it's all, it's all about intention. Like why are you going on a plant-based diet? Is it because you think it's healthy? You think it's like, you know, fitspo or whatever, like, yeah. well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's going to support that person exactly. or whatever. So, it really, it's really important to ask yourself why, and prepare and plan. You know, if you're going, for example, from eating meat most days to just going, okay, I'm just going to take the meat out of my diet and just yeah. eat plants. Like, you're probably not going to do very well because yeah. where's your protein? Where's yeah. your iron? Where's your B12? Like, you know, how, are you getting enough energy if you're just like, taking it out? So, it is really important to navigate that carefully. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing is, and like the research shows that you don't have to be completely plant-based to get the benefits of a plant-based diet. So okay. you can, for example, have meat a couple of times a week yeah. and eat mostly plant-based, you know, yeah. plant-based and still get the benefits of a plant-based yeah. diet. So
1: that's always. A and, and that's what I say. I never push whatever I'd eat on, yeah. on people. Like for me, I kind of had a natural progression where like a, a few years before I stopped eating meat at all, I stopped eating red meat. Yeah, And then it was only like yeah. chicken and fish. A yeah. bit. And then yeah. I had absolutely no plans to to go vegetarian. Uh, this is back when i still live with my parents um i went overseas went to london and when i was in london my whole family watched game Changers, the documentary oh yeah <laughs> so then they all went veggie, yeah. as a lot of people did like so everyone's tried it now almost um, yeah. they went vegetarian i was like i had no plans to do it but if everyone else is doing it i'm gonna try it yeah and then because i do martial arts three times a week like i'm very active and like the way we train two three hours a day like yeah. really pushing my body to like that high level of exertion so diet, which I didn't really know until I tried vegetarian, vegetarian diet impacts the way I feel so much. Mm. What I didn't understand was sometimes I'd be going to training and I'd be going consistently and I'd be sleeping the same or, you know, I'd still, still be well rested, but there'd be days that I would just feel crap and I'd feel like I'm getting tired, like half an hour in and my stomach doesn't feel good. And I thought this doesn't make sense because my fitness should be progressively building. Then when I went Veggio, after probably about a week or two, I noticed I never had those sessions wow. where I just feel crap halfway through. So I'm like, well, I'm guessing I'm going to stick to it while I, while, I, while I enjoy it. And honestly, like I've felt so much wow. better since I cut out meat. But that's just for me. Exactly, like, yeah. Everyone else might be different. And what I don't agree with is the people that say is like, um, oh, we're not meant to eat meat. Like the people that are full on the vegan side, I don't quite agree with. We're not meant to eat meat. It's so bad for you. It's carcinogenic. Although I, I do agree with some of that stuff. I don't think you can say human beings aren't meant to eat mm. meat black and white because what did human beings eat over the last couple thousand years to become yep. human beings? So it's like it <laughs> you yeah. can't be black and white, right? No,
0: yeah. And that's so great to hear that you benefited from the plant-based oh, diet. so like, much. That's fantastic. And I think that – you know there's no denying it, like, not that I'm plant based, but like, eating more plants is always yeah, gonna be better for yeah. you 100%. It's just being really um strategic about it, yeah, because there are things that you can miss from a plant based diet, yeah. To say the plant based diet is bad, it just needs to be well, um, balanced, I yeah. guess. And like, yeah. if I
1: was gonna eat meat, like, the worst part of it, and we're talking, um, like, ethically, is like factory farms, yeah. mass produced meat, yeah. like that stuff. If I was ever going to eat meat, in, which I, I I don't think I will, yeah. if I could eat like at least organic, like yeah. grass fed or like, I've got some friends that are um, actually like wild game hunters and stuff. While I could never like go hunting oh, wow. for an animal, I do respect in a sense that if they are going to eat meat, they would rather do it that way than some cow that's been raised to mm-hmm. of packed absolutely. in this little thing, you know? Yeah,
0: and it all comes down to, like, what your resource and what your your um, availability is like mm. when it comes to food. Like, for example, I might see a client – like, so let's say I see, you know, two clients within the space of an hour. One, yeah. for example, might be at uni and iron deficient and has absolutely little money and so strategically uh, manipulating their diet yes. to fit that. And then another person I might see half an hour later is like – 40 years old, like a millionaire and therefore can be a little bit open with food um, choices and things. So it's really, it is hard. And like nutrition, I think, and I was talking to a friend about this today, like nutrition knowledge is an absolute privilege and sometimes we forget that. Like we are so bombarded with so much information. There's like there's people out there who like don't have a choice. They have to eat rice and meat. Like so we are very lucky that we have a choice in a sense too.
1: One thing for me, as I said, I'm quite uneducated about like I've never really researched it. I've just ate foods and whatever felt yeah. good for me, I'd eat, whatever didn't feel good, I'd try and cut out. But my hypothesis to me, cutting out the meat while it felt made me feel so much better, particularly with training and energy levels, was like digestion. Yeah. And my body's using less energy on digestion. I feel lighter, quicker, I feel like more focused. Now that's was for me was a massive eye-opening experience. Can you talk to me a little bit about how important like gut health is to everything. Not just, you know, gut health, but our holistic health and our happiness as well.
0: Yeah. So like gut health is a very kind of broad term because like your gut is essentially anything from your mouth to your bottom. So like, like what is gut health? Basically it is the I kind of put it in two terms so like the first one is like having a good microbiome diversity so microbiome's little gut bugs in in your gut and then it's also being kind of symptom free or symptoms like low symptoms so like for example if someone came to me and they had bloating gas you know constipation or diarrhea or like just pain then I would say they probably don't have a good gut but that doesn't mean that they don't have a good microbiome diversity and Mm. a gut kind of microbiome health so it's a Bit of a, uh, how would you say, like a a hard thing to define. But yeah. in a sense, like we know, research is very early days, but we know that your gut plays a huge role in your overall mental health, mm. physical health, and like everything in between. So in a sense, like, yeah, your gut health is pretty much pivotal to your overall how health. How long
1: have we been studying gut health for? Because it's like everyone's <laughs> like the second brain, right? Yeah. Like how important. Yeah. No one would have imagined how important and – how many things are linked to it, right? Yeah.
0: Well, the second brain, like your gut and your brain, like is um, are connected by what we call a vagus nerve. So okay. when we're like basically a fetus, like your gut and your brain like connected and they kind of separate. So it's really cool, which is why, for example, when you get nervous, you get butterflies in your tummy, mm. right? Because it's connecting. <laughs> so, and that's why we see things like irritable bowel syndrome, functional gut disorders, because a lot of people, for example, who have sensitive tummies, also struggle with anxiety, and it's definitely not a coincidence. So that's really interesting. But then I guess from an overall gut health perspective, in terms of optimizing your gut health, like a plant-based diet is a perfect example of how you can optimize it. The reason being plant-based diets really full on fiber. Fiber is indigestible, but our gut bugs love it. So the more fiber we have and the more diverse range of fibers we have, the more yeah. diverse our gut bugs are. Basically you're fertilizing a, a, a wonderful garden there. Yeah. But as well, like when it comes to like the comment you made about the meat, meat's quite high in fat and protein, which is harder to digest than yeah. other things. So yeah. that's probably why. But everybody is different. Some people – thrive off meat and in terms of their gut health like if they're getting enough plant-based um, sources then it should be okay if
1: anyway. i if if it if, if was in fact like meat was affecting my digestion would that mean yeah. in some level i am like intolerant to meat? because i know intolerance that word kind of gets thrown around yeah. a little bit or
0: i wouldn't say so yeah, yeah i just say you probably just your gut doesn't digest it very well. Yeah, like, yeah. cause I think w- the, the term does get thrown yeah, That's what I mean. It's yeah. like, Oh, I'm
1: lactose intolerant. I'm gluten and all these yeah. things. Like,
0: yeah. I mean, that's another topic in itself, yeah. but like intolerance, like to an extent, like intolerance basically means you don't digest it very well. Or you malabsorb it. But yeah. with, with meat in a sense, like I don't think anyone's technically yeah. intolerant to yeah. meat. Maybe they are just hard to digest. Yeah.
1: One thing you just mentioned, um, I wanted to ask you about, um, cause I didn't really understand the relationship between how important or what role um, diet and nutrition can to manage like PCOS and obviously IBS makes more sense to me how it's linked but can you talk to a little bit about how they connected and how a a good or the right diet for yourself can help manage symptoms of uh, like IBS or PCOS I know the different conditions but
0: yeah I mean I guess like Depends on the condition. So, like with irritable bowel syndrome, like I can talk. Yeah, yeah. Let's separate them. Yeah. So, well, like, so irritable bowel syndrome, it's a function gut disorder of the gut and the brain. So. Basically, people who have irritable bowel syndrome struggle with symptoms like gas and bloating and constipation, diarrhea, and kind of just like not a very nice gut. Yeah. And the reason being is, is we don't really know. <laughs> so yeah. it could be because the microbiome or the gut bugs mm-hmm. are dysbiosis, basically just like not balanced. It could be the fact that they struggle with anxiety, gut-brain connection, just not there. could be the fact that they had barley belly four years ago and now their gut's just not the same. Yeah. could be childhood trauma. It could be eating disorder. So there's lots of different things that might contribute to someone developing irritable bowel syndrome, there's no cure. Yep. It sucks. And the only, I guess, like thing that you can do is just manage the symptoms.
1: Yeah.
0: In terms of managing the symptoms, there's lots of things you can do, which is good from a dietary point. For example, I kind of like separate it into two kind of categories. There's the first one, which is looking at things like your fiber intake, whether you're having lots of different artificial sugars, whether you're eating really quickly, whether you're um, – taking certain supplements that might block you up, for example, like those sorts of things which are fatty foods or or high-protein foods or those things which are kind of much more general. And then there's certain elimination diets such as the low FODMAP diet which actually can help manage irritable bowel syndrome. So that is one strategy. It's not the only thing and the reason being is because it is a condition of the gut and the brain. So if you're not addressing the brain, you're not actually addressing half the issue, right? So, And everyone is different and some people tolerate Fodmat's okay, who have IBS. Some people don't tolerate it at all. So,
1: do you think obviously the prevalence or the awareness around IBS over the last 10 years has seemed to increase quite mm-hmm. a lot? Do you think that's simply because there's social media out and there's so much more information, we're more aware of it? Or do you think something in the modern diet may be contributing yeah. to that?
0: I don't know. Yeah. I, I have my, I would say that aside from the modern diet, maybe changing a little bit and people having less fiber, which is really important for that regularity.
1: Yeah.
0: I also think it could be the, the lifestyle that we live these days. We're sitting down for longer. We're so stressed. Like, we're on our mobile phones. Like, we don't have a very good morning routine. Like, all these things contribute to the symptoms. So I'd say it's probably more the fact that our lifestyles are chaotic as opposed to the fact that, our di- like, our diet's changed.
1: But yeah, it probably is a bit of both. Stress and inflammation yeah. like, are, like, the worst things yeah. for your body, right? Absolutely. Is Does cortisol management play like can, can diet and nutrition play a role in cortisol management. Cause for, for me, the one thing I'm most aware of, maybe not right now, but you know, 10, 20 years down the line, as I start to get a little bit older, I may look really healthy on the outside, but I know I leave a, live a high stress life. So one thing I'm conscious of is again, I'm not a very chill person. I'm not very <laughs> relaxed but things I can do to help calm my body from the inside and manage things like cortisol.
0: Yeah. So I don't know whether there's a direct link between food and cortisol, yeah. but cortisol is a stress, a hormone, stress hormone, right? right? So like if, for example, you're always, always stressed, then you're going to have high cortisol. But from a food point of view, there are foods that might raise your, for example, adrenaline, your stress, like your stress response your, Caused you to have hypoglycemia, like he's a lollies and processed food. So that can absolutely raise that sort of stress. Is and caffeine that, one of those? Caffeine, as well? yeah. yeah. <laughs> caffeine, <Damn>. yeah, I know. <laughs> um, sure. But the other thing is, like, high levels of cortisol long term can cause inflammation. Yeah. They are foods that can help reduce inflammation. So you can absolutely eat to optimize your long term health right now from an inflammation point of view.
1: What would some of those foods be?
0: So have you ever heard of like the Mediterranean diet before?
1: Is that like fish and.
0: Wow. Yeah, so the Mediterranean diet is essentially an anti-inflammatory diet. Okay, so, yeah. it's like one of the most incredible diets for a lot of people who struggle with anti uh, sort of inflammation conditions such as diabetes, such as cardiovascular disease, such as even things like obesity or metabolic conditions yeah. because basically it reduces cholesterol, Ah, uh, sorry, reduces inflammation. Okay. And the reason being is because things like omega-3s, which are found in oils and nuts and seeds and fish, help with basically reducing inflammation within the body and reducing that sort of stress response that occurs because of lifestyle conditions or diseases or illnesses. Because there have
1: been like studies on this around like longevity and lifespans and there's pretty like – conclusive data that can really help with that sort of stuff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for example, I guess just to to explain what it is briefly, the Mediterranean diet is eating a diet full of plant-based foods, um, including some fish though in your diet because of the omega-3s, olive oils, nuts and seeds, whole grains rather than refined grains, limiting red meat but still including it on the occasion, yep. having some dairy products but not excessive and also having some alcohol, in particular red, red wine. wine. Um I'm all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, some, not yeah. always, yeah. And then um, reducing things like processed foods, heaps of sugar and yeah. heaps of added salts.
1: Yep. And one other question before, I want to kind of get your take on the PCOS thing and how diet can yeah. Im- influence that. Um, but you mentioned the FODMAP. This is something I've heard – um, once before on the podcast, can you explain what the FODMAP is? Or is like a set of principles for people with IBS? Yeah, or? that's
0: a good question. Yeah. So, FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, mono and polyols. So basically, it's a whole big acronym yeah, wow. for fermentable carbohydrates. And these FODMAPs, like they are good for you, right? Like things like apples and pears and mangoes and garlic and onion and artichokes, like they're fantastic for you, but they are highly fermentable. So basically what that means is when they enter your large bowel, your bacteria go, oh my gosh, this is great. Break it down. Gas is produced. And also things like osmotic laxative effect, which is basically where the water binds and goes in, resulting in things like diarrhea and bloating gas. So- They do have an effect on the large bowel. In people who don't have irritable bowel syndrome, they're fine. No one even realizes because they don't have that sensitive tummy. But for people who have irritable bowel syndrome, they often react to these FODMAP foods or these high FODMAP foods. So the whole concept behind the low FODMAP diet, it's a therapeutic diet. So it basically helps relieve symptoms of IBS in most people, not all people. And, It really should be done, I guess, disclaimer, under the guidance of a dietitian because it's so complicated. It doesn't make sense. It's not like, oh, you're on a keto diet. You just reduce carbohydrates. Like everyone knows what a carbohydrate is. It's like FODMAPs don't make sense. Like they're apples and pears and then they're like some fruit tans, which are like wheat-containing products. And then you've got like milk and then you've got like peaches. Like it doesn't make sense, right, unless you actually have someone to guide you through it. So. The whole diet isn't supposed to be a long-term thing. Yeah. The whole concept of it is you do the low FODMAP phase, you do the reintroduction phase where you reintroduce all the FODMAPs and then you actually personalise it to, to Figure yourself. Figure out
1: the ones that cause you the most problems yeah. and stress. Yeah.
0: yeah. And yeah. then I guess the whole concept behind it is getting to a point where you feel really empowered and confident that you know what you tolerate and you know what you yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm sure you get asked as a dietitian a lot, random question, but is there <laughs> – like a normal amount of times a day that someone should poo?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I usually say three times a day to three times a week.
1: Wow, it's a big difference.
0: Yeah, and the reason being because everyone's different, right? Like some people have a slow metabolism and therefore, you know, food moves slower through their body. Some people are really, really active and some people are, for example, men generally go to the toilet a little bit more than women because their metabolism is a little bit more. So going to the
1: toilet is linked to metabolism. Ten, in a way. Well, in a way. Yeah, yeah. not always. I thought so.
0: Yeah, not always. But I guess if you think about your food moves faster yeah. through your digestive system, so therefore it grows out
1: yeah. more, more yeah, quick.
0: But sense. everyone's different. Hormones make, play a massive role. Also, your um, peristalsis within your large bowel can play a role too. So th- there's lots of different things that add into that.
1: It, yeah. Is there a link between like, okay, let's just say um, someone goes to the toilet three times a day versus three times a week. It doesn't necessarily need to be a negative thing, right? Because – there's, like, the notions – and this is an uneducated person's brain, <laughs> so tell me if I'm being stupid. That's right. But, like, if – let's just say I have a really fast metabolism and I'm going to the toilet three times a day for for, for argument's sake, that's not giving my body as much time to, um, like, absorb – is that not giving my body as much time to absorb all the nutrients or that's not really, yeah, 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 it doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess like when we're thinking about absorption of nutrients, most of it happens in the first half of your digestive system anyway, like as soon as it enters like the small intestine afterwards, like the only thing that really happens after that is the absorption of water. Okay. So it shouldn't be an issue and your body's probably like really, really quick and used to it anyway. The issue, I guess, comes when you fluctuate from going three times a day to three times a week. Yeah. So that's one of the signs of irritable bowel syndrome okay. is some weeks you go three times a day, some weeks you go three times a yeah. week. So, yeah, as long as it's normal for you, then it should be normal. Yeah. Basically, that's a short yeah. answer. Cool.
1: Yeah. Um, and with the clients that you work with that, that may be struggling with PCOS. Yes. Um I don't know how to pulmonary cystic uh, polycystic and, ovarian poly- syndrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does diet? Um. How can diet help? You know, manage that. Yeah. So polycystic
0: ovarian syndrome is a condition, like a um, a hormone hormonal condition. Yeah. Basically, um, women who have PCOS have kind of high testosterone in particular, irregularities with the estrogen and progesterone, and also it's an umbrella term. So basically, it's a syndrome, a collection of symptoms. So might, for example, have lots of hair on their arms or have um irregular periods or like very, very infrequent periods. They might struggle with things like acne or hormonal acne. So PCOS, because it's a syndrome, basically what we do most of the time is we look at the symptoms and we manage the symptoms. The other thing is, I guess, when it comes to PCOS, oftentimes our metabolic um, health is also impacted. So we see a lot of women, for example, who struggle with their weights because of the fact that PCOS, people who have PCOS sometimes struggle with metabolism. So they're much more likely to be overweight or gain weight really quickly. Yeah. And the reason being we don't really know there could be a lot of contributing factors. It also could be genetic too. But in that sense, yes, diet can help because it helps with managing energy intake versus yeah. intake, um, versus output. I guess the other thing is a lot of the time there is a connection between insulin and PCOS. So yeah. insulin is a hormone that helps us metabolize and um, uh, like the blood sugar levels within our body. And so if your insulin's a little bit out of whack, then sometimes we see things like pre-diabetes in women who have PCOS, which yep. is basically like before you have diabetes. So it's really important in that case to manage things like carbohydrate intake because that is really important in terms yep. of your blood sugar control.
1: Yep, and is, is PCOS linked to uh, endometriosis or is it ex- a separate? Not necessarily. Different, yeah. So, yeah.
0: endometriosis is a condition in which endometrial like um, uh, cells grow within, I guess, the uterus. Yep. And so, what happens is when the lining sheds every month, basically, your uterus, like, you, exactly, and like yeah. other sorry, other elements like fallopian tubes shed alongside your uterus as well, which is causing a lot, pain, a lot right. of pain one of the key links between endo and diet is inflammation. So endometriosis is an inflammatory condition. And so one of the best things you can do from an endo point of view is to manage inflammation through diet, Mediterranean diet is the way yeah. to go in that case. But everyone's different as well. And it's interesting with endo, pain doesn't necessarily um, equate to the severity of the issue. So some people who have like um, stage four endo, for example, might not have any pain, might not even realize until they go under a laparoscopy, like, like a, a surgery. Yeah. Whereas some people have stage one might have severe pain.
1: Yeah.
0: I guess when it comes to endo two, it's um, well managed through things like contraception, like the marina. Yeah. To reduce like basically getting a period so yeah. those things are really really important diet can
1: only do so much
0: from an yeah. endo point and even a PCOS point too. But it, the, it The
1: role it plays is linked to the inflammation piece you were talking mm-hmm. about right? Mm-hmm. Cool I want to one thing I'd, I'd like to say obviously halfway through whatever how far we're through is wow you really really actually know your shit properly. <laughs> um, and Thank you. I say that because the next question I kind of want to get your opinion on because I see a lot of it, and I mean, some of it is probably fine, but I know it can be dangerous at times. Yeah. It's like, you know how, like you see, like if there's anyone talking about crypto or investing, though, like, this is not financial advice, right? Yes, you have to be a you know a certified person to give financial advice. Yeah, what's your opinion, or what are the risks of unqualified people, like, and fitness influencer mm. or a PT? giving sort of diet recommendations to people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So hmm, I think that everyone is entitled to provide information to a point when it comes to nutrition. So the Australian guide to healthy eating, right. That is eat your five serves of veggies, eat your two serves of fruit, whatever. Like that isn't destructive at all in most cases, When it becomes destructive, is when these people use either their past experiences and kind of push that onto other people. So, for example, if someone had hormonal acne and then started having being on a vegan diet, and then that person shares that with their audience, then maybe I have hormonal acne, therefore I'm going on a vegan diet. But really, I'm actually incredibly anemic and I'm also like so ill educated and then become. 12 deficient in two years time you know yeah. so that becomes really destructive the other thing is like if for example i guess from a from a qualified point of view if you if you're a nutritionist if you're a pt like you can technically give some form of nutrition advice right but you can't give nutrition advice to somebody who has a medical condition so if i had pcos and you were a pt and i went like hey dylan like oh like i also have pcos like can you help me you kind of could know but you can't tell me yeah. because it's a medical condition tricky, so huh? you have to see a dietitian technically um doesn't always happen like that which is unfortunate but that's yeah. just the way it is so it can be incredibly destructive and sometimes you know that person who is giving that information well most of the time it's not in a malicious way yeah, it's like you're from not in a good place yeah right? but people are very good at kind of taking information and applying it to themselves and it's not always healthy yeah. And it sucks because I see, like, obviously a lot of clients who have eating disorders and disordered eating and oftentimes it does stem from taking information from the internet and going that's also what I want to look like or what I want to achieve or what I have, therefore it's going to work for me. And like we said before, like, diets are so personal and it just doesn't work like that. Have
1: you noticed any um, people that started, any of your clients that started working with you that have come to you because of a bad experience following something they saw on the internet or social media? I think
0: a lot of the time, not always, but, like, I've had – even like several clients at the moment I have right now oh. developed eating disorders from, um, like gym, um, yeah. challenges. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, like an eight week challenge and then they've been told to track for example, and then become, it's kind of being the slippery slope. That's not to say that gym challenges is bad. No way. Like they can be great for somebody, but for somebody who's already sensitive and then doesn't feel like, um, equipped with the education to know that it's bad for them, it can be a big, big slippery slope, and then you get people who are like losing weight, and then their parents being like, "You look great," and it's like, "Okay, cool." Like I'm gonna keep that. losing weight because that's yeah. what it gives me love, you know. Whatever. So, I do, I do see a lot of clients who have struggled with their relationship with food because of those things, but then also social media kind of like, "Oh, but yeah. that person like they eat that. Why can't I eat that?" It's like, <laughs> it's down. What's
1: your <laughs> advice to people? And um, have you in the past like struggled with you know? getting all this information, whether it used to be from magazines or the movies yeah. or the catwalks and now social media. How do you, what's your advice to people to kind of break that, you know, connection between seeing that and feeling that? You said before, unfollow all these sorts yeah. of people. Like, What are you kind of, what's the best way to break that cycle?
0: As in like following them and doing what they're...
1: Yeah, yeah. I would being just say so like, influenced by these outside yeah. noise.
0: I mean, firstly, like I would say follow people who actually are educated yeah. and like, you know, that's other dietitians or people in that space who actually know what they're talking about and then unfollow those people who make you feel not well, like who yeah. make you feel like you're questioning your diet and because that's not safe and that's not healthy and that's not fair on anybody. And, yeah, that's basically what I would say. But
1: that's like <laughs> that for anything. Like I've had people that I've unfollowed in the past that yeah. have nothing to do with diet, whether it could be business yeah, or just like anything, and they just make me, for whatever yeah. reason, they make me feel shit or they make you feel insecure for some weird reasons, yeah. like, I don't give a fuck about yeah. who this person is. Why am I going to continue to let myself be influenced yeah. by that in a negative way? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, cutting out that shit, I feel like helps me so much. And it's probably mm. a really great step because we're getting more and more like at the screen time of our generations going higher and yeah. higher and higher. And I never regret yeah. putting my phone away. Yeah. The time. Yeah. You know? A
0: hundred percent. And I even do that. I unfollow of people all the time because I'm like, that triggers me. And I don't need that in my life. Yeah. Like, I guess it requires self-awareness as well. Yeah. Like. But I think the more, thankfully, we are becoming more educated in this space of, like, self-love and, like, relationship with food and and body neutrality, like, that is so good to see. But there's still so much shit out there that's just, like, incredibly toxic to especially young women and young girls. Yeah. Well, men as well, but
1: well let's move on to that because something apart from diet and nutrition that you're extremely passionate about is mental health. Yeah. And you've been very open about your journey with mental health over the years and how you've managed your anxiety. Can you kind of talk to me about kind of the journey you've got on and what's what's helped you to kind yeah, of you know Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think that um I mean I am so open with mental health, but I've never I've not always been. Like when yeah. I was younger I didn't talk about my mental health. I was like, oh, that's like scary and weird and like no one – like my family didn't talk about it so I just didn't talk about it, which is why I'm so passionate about talking about it now (laughs) because I wish there was somebody in my life who actually talked about this stuff. Um, When I was younger, I struggled with anxiety and I think genetically like my family just like more highly strong than the regular family. (laughs) So like I just struggled with anxiety. I didn't know what it was. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and just being like, oh, my gosh, I'm stressed, like my heart's pumping. But I was like, oh, it's just like maybe something's going – I mean something. Like I just yeah. didn't think it was anxiety. Um, and then my parents separated when I was young and there was a lot of kind of chaos, I guess you could say, in my life, which um, I went to a couple of psychologists in my early childhood, but I was like, mm, but, like they're just telling me to talk about my family and I don't want to talk about that. Like, yeah. yuck. So then when I was struggling with um, my relationship with food and things, I went to a couple of other psychologists and I just didn't gel with them. I've been to 15 psychologists in my life. Like I've been to a lot because – I just feel like, for me, it's so important, but also it's so important to gel with them. Yep. And so then when I was, like, when I went to uni, um, I'm quite I, – I, I was a big – I'm a hard worker, but I used to be like stupidly hard working, like type A, like I need to get HDs or I fail kind of vibe. Nowadays I'm like a bit more accepting of myself. But like when I was in uni, I was like, no, I have to get HDs or I'm a failure. So I had so much pressure myself at uni. I was volunteering. I was working full time. I was doing so much stuff. And so I struggled really badly with anxiety. And so I went to my doctor and I was like, help. Like, I don't know what to do. And they put me on some medication for it. Um, an antidepressant, like SSRR, which is like RI, sorry, which is kind of like a generic or general kind of first line in terms of yeah. antidepressants, which worked a treat. Like it was so good. Obviously it didn't change. Like, I had to change my systems too. I couldn't just like rely yeah. on medication, but then I found a good psychologist, which was really helpful. And I guess it's just like for me, like working through it, it take, it's taken a long time, like getting to a point where I'm like, I understand my triggers. I understand what makes me feel good and what doesn't make me feel good. And to separate that, For me, like, and I've realized only recently, having moved away and things, community and friendships are so important for me because my, like, like God bless my family, but I'm not really close to them. So having family with friends is really important for me, and and being able to rebound and talk, like, talking is so therapeutic for me. So I've only realized that recently, like the past couple
1: of years. So, and something that you just said, I think it's such a important message for people out there. You said like it's a journey and it's a very long journey. Some people Mm -hmm. might think. I've been struggling for like one or two or three years, but that can be very normal. It doesn't always yeah. be fixed in yeah. like a year or two. Yeah. Right? And then
0: like you might feel good for a year and then feel like crap again. Yeah. Like I remember like I was feeling so good just before COVID and then mm, COVID happened and then you just, you're you know, in isolation for six months or whatever it is and you just like come out and you're like, well, what is life? And so I had to kind of, I wouldn't say I was back to square one. No way. I had so many tools in my toolbox, but I was definitely feeling not great. Yeah. And so then being like, okay, what can I do? What makes me feel good? What things can I put in place to really build myself up again? The other thing is as well, like being, I'm really into like kind of personal development, reading books and understanding my brain. Like I need to understand things really well for me to be motivated to actually do things about it. So actually going to a therapist who was really good at teaching you how your brain works, how anxiety works, why anxiety is there, like what, why you feel these certain things, that was really important for me. So, but everyone's different. Some people like Psychologist that you just talk to and, and blab on for an hour like so it's finding a psychologist has and that actually works with the way I think as being really really yeah. important as well you
1: said you've spoken to 15 psychologists um in your life what do you look for in a good relationship with a psychologist what's some good signs that mm. this is the right fit for me yeah for, for you
0: I think of psychology and like finding a psychologist as dating right like you're not going to find the perfect match straight, straight off. Light, like if yeah. you do, fantastic, but like very rare. <laughs> and you might really like that psychologist for two years and then be like, nah, next yeah, or whatever. I've grown, like, it. I've, I've grown it. Yeah. So it's it's important to be fluid in that. And when I, I guess, like have been to a psychologist, for me, I can, I can sense energies pretty well, I think. And so like if I just don't feel like that's going to work, I just kind of go, oh, no, nah, it's yeah. not going to work. And like I'm open. Like I would share my thing, like my story with anybody, really on the yeah. street. But – If I don't have that connection, it's just not going to work because I just will kind of – not like going there. It's like like I want to be excited you give to go your, like, yeah.
1: give yourself up. It's so vulnerable to someone if you yeah. know it's yeah. not Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so I guess like the other thing is when you go to a psychologist, like really asking yourself what you want out of it, like what do you want out of seeing this psychologist? Like what do you want to work on? Because they're obviously there to help you. And the first couple of sessions sometimes are really boring. You just have to talk about yourself because yeah. they're trying to figure out what to prioritize and everything. But you need to ask yourself what you want to get out of it too. Because if you don't have that structure, if you don't have that goal, that, that vision in mind, like – it's really hard for you to navigate things yeah. and actually have a conversation with them because you don't actually know what you want to talk about. I think that's so important. Where you want to get to.
1: Because so, so often when people are in those situations, they're so lost. Yeah. And yeah. they themselves don't yeah. really know yeah. what they want. They just know they want to feel better. Yeah. Is there any tips or anything that you could recommend to when you are in a place mm-hmm. that isn't your best or where you want to be to kind of find it, connect a little bit more to your purpose of clarity or a path forward?
0: Journaling. Journaling. Yeah, honestly, journaling has been my saviour. Oh, my gosh. Like, I can't even – I remember – so I only started journaling probably four years ago or something because every psychologist I went to was like, Alex, you need journal. No, (laughs) I understand my thoughts. My psychologist the other day was saying – Journaling, like thinking and not putting it down on paper is like putting up a tent in a tornado. It just doesn't work. You okay. need to put it down on paper so you can articulate it. And it's much more objective rather than subjective and tainted by all these weird, mysterious, colourful thoughts. Putting it on paper is just so much better. And you're actually able to capture that experience a lot better and really articulate and solve it. Not necessarily solve it in the sense that you have to have an answer, but just be like, oh, that's fair enough. Okay, moving on, yep. moving past. Um Something that I always recommend to people, for example, they might be like, oh, I feel good. Like, I I don't need to see a psychologist. And then two weeks later, like, I feel like shit. I need to see a psychologist. Writing down when you feel like shit, then booking in with a psychologist. Because when you go to a psychologist room and you feel good, you're like, so I don't even know why I'm here. I can't remember. But if you got your journal and be like, hey, Susan, I'm going to read you this, what I was feeling two weeks ago. This is how I'm feeling. I feel good today, but I felt you know this for the past two years. And what
1: sort of things can people write in their journal, like yeah. when they're
0: journaling? So everyone, I mean, I, f- I I recommend journaling to a lot of my clients, and I guess like with journaling, it's, it's so individual. Some people like prompts, for example, like, "How? What are you grateful for? How are you feeling today? What's something you're proud of today?" And like that works for some people great. For me, it's just brain dumping, like getting my journal out and being like, "Today I feel like this," and like "Today I'm doing this," and just like blabbering on and because that's just how my brain works sometimes I just need to there's just so much information I just need to put it on a piece of paper when you're starting out for example I started doing like those prompts so getting like a a journal that you can get from like the bookstop that has prompts or going online and finding prompts or my psychologist gave me some prompts so taking some time and also making it a bit of a routine so I do it every morning when I'm having my coffee that really works for me gets my brain started it gets my brain thinking it gets all that thought on paper, some people like in the evening where they can express their gratitude for the day or reflect on the day. So everyone's different. Yeah. Getting a routine and actually just doing what works for you. I have a couple of clients who hate their writing and just cannot even fathom writing on a piece of paper and looking at it. So they voicemail themselves, you know, on the voice note. Like, hey, like," the, and it's their journal. They're like verbal journal. The cool thing I like about, I guess, journaling in in, in general is in two years' time, you can look back on that and be like, yeah. oh, my gosh, like, that was a really tough time. I'm so glad, like, I got over that. Or, wow, I was feeling so good there. What was I doing to make myself feel so good? Like, I've got journals for years and in my bookcase. And I'm like, this is so cool. Some were nice. So I just look at it. And I'm like, oh, poor Alice. Like, that was hard for you, you know. Like, or oh, I'm proud of you for that. Like, actually reflecting and reminiscing and and – yeah building so many skills from that experience as well
1: because i'm i'm like you, you i'm very into personal development i do a lot of things yeah um in like meditate i visualize i do a lot of things mm. but one thing i've tried a couple times and it's never really resonated with me is like the whole journaling thing i don't yeah. know why i sit down i'm like what am i doing yeah what, like i don't like you said like what's the goal from doing this i don't know and mm. i'm like what should i be writing what i did today what I'm thinking, what my goals are. Yeah. And I feel like because I'm so confused about it, I was like in a way judging myself. Yes. Because I'm judging myself. I'm like, I'm not doing <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, I'm doing this. You know, yeah. I'm I suck at know. this thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, you have to just take all that away. Like yeah. you just be like, no, like this is just, and once you find benefits in it, you st- you keep doing it. Like if yeah. you're not finding benefits in it, Maybe it's not going to work for you. Maybe meditation works for you. It's all about intention. Like why yeah. am I journaling? If you're not finding any benefits from it, you're not going to do it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't find any yeah. benefits from it. And to be honest, some days, some weeks I just don't journal because I just don't have the capacity to articulate my thoughts. But then on two weeks' time I'm like, oh, okay, and I feel so much better after that.
1: The, the best, the, the most committed I ever was to it, and I think I was actually starting to enjoy it. I was yeah. starting to get some value. I was just doing it once a week, every Sunday, like – afternoon evening around dusk I would go to a cafe down the road and I'd sit in this little spot and I'd just like write it because at the first I'm like what am I fucking writing and then I'd write it down and then come here because I'm such a big thinker maybe there is going to be a value in putting this down on a piece of paper but for me if I just do that I feel like what the fuck am I doing yeah my question is do you ever read back on your journals because if I was to do that I feel like if I was to look back at my journals like at the end of every month I feel like maybe that would give me a bit of clarity and then I would start to see some benefit.
0: Oh, yeah. I look back on my journals all the time, all the time. And I learn so much too. Yeah. I just love it. Like I actually find it really enjoyable (laughs) looking back (laughs) on my journals. Like, which journal? Like 2018. Okay, let's open it up, whatever. Like, and I think, for example, like – Even in – with my clients, like those clients who journal, like who look back, I'm like, write this down now. In a year's time, we're going to look back on it together and be like, man, I'm so proud of you, Sammy, or like whatever. It's just the best. I love it.
1: What I regret about my life is not journaling like the whole time. And I'm I'm saying that as someone who doesn't journal, but I look back, you know, from uh, high school or like a few years out of school, all these different periods of your life, if you think back and try and remember that, you can remember like less than 1%. Like there's all this – lived experience and feeling that are in a way lost Mm -hmm. and to be able to look back on that and read that and remember, I think would be like so cool. Cool, huh? Yeah. I fucking might do it. Do it. Yes. Is it okay if I start once a week or does it need to be every day? I mean, I don't know.
0: (laughs) There's no rules. Exactly. I mean, like at the end of the day, do what works for you. Like if you doing it every day is going to give you like freaking anxiety and like not be effective for you Mm -hmm. and you're going to do it
1: for a week and then stop. Don't do it. Tell you the reason I I, I couldn't do it every day as well was because the one, I probably hadn't attached the value to it yet, but because I'm like, I really want to be like productive and I'm like, I'm sitting down fucking wasting 15 (laughs) minutes, 20 minutes. Like why am I doing this? So like that builds up my like, not anxiety, but like I feel like, I start getting, like, anxious inside of me. I'm like, I'm wasting time. I'm like, yeah. screw this. I've got to, So you to do
0: probably, more. yeah, need to find a value in it so yeah. then it doesn't look like you're wasting time. Yeah, because
1: meditating or visualizing is the most beautiful process. I mean, I'm literally sitting there doing nothing. But because I've yeah understand and observed the value in my own life. That's right. It's amazing. So, yeah, for anyone listening, it's not just about me. If you can find a value mm-hmm. in, in these practices, then, I mean, for me, if, if I find something valuable, then why would you let go of that? That's right. Know? Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you, let's figure out one more thing, then we'll get on to some of those questions that got submitted. Um, you said a couple of things, and I think it's one of the best things about our generation. Like, yeah. when were you, you were young, you were struggling with anxiety and you didn't know what it was. Neither did I. Yeah. Like, how how much, how good is it to see how far it's gone in terms of, particularly, and this is this is an example for guys, and, and girls, of course, but guys being more and more open to talking about their feelings and when they're struggling. I remember there was one period in my life, I think it's the only period, Thank so grateful that I don't know if I, if I genuinely had depression, but there was probably three or four months where looking back, um, I'm not going to say it was depression because I got out of it quite quickly, but yeah. all I wanted to do was sleep. I wasn't motivated. I wasn't excited. You didn't want to go out, but I told no one, Yeah, none of my best mates. That's and I was it. close with them. Now, if I was feeling like that, I would tell them, mm-hmm. I think that's good. And I think something probably more recently that's, um, becoming more and more accepting. And I think that's why people like you sharing your story is so important. Like there's still, I think it's definitely lessening a bit of a stigma around like taking antidepressants to help. No, that's such a powerful tool you have. It's not like you're going to take that and that's the rest of your life. Use that as a tool. And then, you know, it's. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I think like there is still some stereotype behind antidepressants and, and medication. What I see is, what because I, and I didn't want to take them for so long I was like mm. no I'm not taking them I don't want to be weak yeah. but I disagree I think it's actually probably the strongest thing that I've done yeah because I've been like I need help give me help I want to do I want to do things I want to be be well like and I need help the thing that I look at antidepressants is like it doesn't change you but it helps you give it gives you the opportunity to change the way that you think and yeah. kind of settle it it settles you down a little bit so then you're able to and open to seek psychological help exactly. and change your neural pathways and all that sort of stuff.
1: Because it's not, once someone gets to a certain um, point with depression or anxiety, it's a, it's a chemical imbalance and mm. there's no amount of uh, like, uh, like counseling that can get you out of that at that point. This is from, this is me talking to, to psychologists. They're two separate things, right? If you're at that point handling, like you said, the, the chemical side inside of you will give you a bit better of an opportunity for these sorts of things to work. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't, that's not to say that everyone needs an antidepressant if they're depressed or anything like that, but like it, oh, it helps. Like it really does. And even for me, like I'm still on anti-anxiety medication and it's just like, I, whatever, like it is what it is. Like, why would I make it harder for myself? I can't be bothered. Like I've got stuff to do. (laughs) I want to learn. I want to, I want to be my best self. And like a lot of people think, "Oh, oh, antidepressants make you numb. I don't, I don't think so. It actually makes me who I who I am and yeah. who I wanna be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And by no way am I saying it should be a first, you know, no, step for anyone, yeah. but if you've been struggling for a long period of time and you're feeling stuck and nothing's really working, then, you know, speak to a psychologist or a doctor about yeah. it because it, it's an option and we shouldn't have any element of shame about it, like mm. at all.
0: Mm. I guess like in line with that, diet can definitely help with your mental health oh, well, too. Yeah. yeah. Time, right? <laughs> if like I mean There was a study done, for example, the SMILES trial, which was done by a dietitian who's, I think, I don't know if she's a dietitian actually, she's definitely Professor um, uh, Felice Jacker and she did a study in Melbourne and it showed that antidepressants were as effective as going on a Mediterranean style type diet for people who were depressed. So it is effective, Um, not everyone is going to get those effects of course, but Changing up your diet and, or optimizing your diet can definitely help with you managing certain depressive and also anxiety symptoms too.
1: Yeah, I've heard of a study because um at my martial arts school, like our head of our school, his day job is like he's a psychologist. Yeah. Um, apparently there's a study. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. I'm not sure where it is. Again, I'm I'm a fucking idiot when it comes to stuff, but I have a lot of really smart people around me. Um, that there's been trials going on um for depression, uh, and something as simple as like a low dose aspirin can help people with. Mm. Uh, depression in certain cases wow. when it's linked to inflammation. I didn't so that's, know that, a, a but new that's interesting. Study. It's all about, yeah. like you said, it isn't always, but some of the times it's related to the inflammation, right? Mm. And something as simple as that can Absolutely. reduce symptoms for a lot of people. Well,
0: I guess that makes sense with the, anti, oh, the Mediterranean diet, right? Exactly, like It reduces yeah. inflammation. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Cool, and huh? I guess like from a gut point of view too, like your gut and your mental health, like they're interconnected. So if you have mm. a good good gut,
1: you have potentially a good, good mental health too. Yeah. So complex. Cool. Um, I want to move on to some of the questions yes. that got submitted. Thank yes, you for everyone who submitted them. I picked uh, three that I that, yeah. that, that, that I'll ask you. Hope I can answer them. Um, <laughs> I think you'll be able to answer them, um, but no stress if you can't. Uh, the first one, I'm not sure the name, but it's free from Honey Bee Stationery Co. Yeah, I um, mean, I think it's a really, really good um, question. They asked. Their question was. Um, Do you have any tips to stop self-sabotaging so they can stick to a healthier
0: diet? Uh, uh, Okay. My tip is to understand why you're self-sabotaging in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I will give you an example. Um, For somebody, for example, who doesn't – so I believe that your beliefs – what you believe, we you, you, you act in line with your beliefs, right? So if you believe that you don't deserve to be in a healthy body, then you probably will act in line with that. So therefore you will follow a diet for a week and then self-sabotage because that's your belief. And self-sabotaging, like people do it all the time. We yeah. do it because it's easy because we know, even though we know, for example, that that behavior is bad or not good, we still do it because it's familiar to us. Yeah. So actually understanding why you're self-sabotaging can actually help bring that awareness to the forefront and therefore you can change your behaviours. And
1: is it frequently when people are self-sabotaging linked to some specific reason why they don't think they are valued at this to yeah. not do that? Yeah,
0: childhood trauma sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. there's a lot of my clients who have experienced trauma as a child and as a result they don't feel valued or they don't feel worthy yeah. to be happy or to be healthy or to be, to be rich or wealthy, like anything like mm-hmm. that. And it comes in so many other elements as yeah. well outside of diet too. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess as well like – with that self-sabotage, like actually addressing the self-sabotage and understanding why you self-sabotage, that's not the only solution. Like looking at what a health, like what does a healthy diet mean to you? And like, do you actually want to eat in line with what you believe is a healthy diet? Right. Like, and then actually creating the habits and establishing the habits, like all that kind of stuff is required to follow that yeah. through. But yeah, it's very complex that, that answer. And I could spend I've, the next hour. Yeah. Kind of well, delving I think into it's great. But, a great yeah.
1: advice. Um, Next question, moving on. Kevin asked, this is a, a, a different type of question, but it's, I think this is a, a really cool one as well. Just what is your go-to easy easy meal prep? Yeah, like Someone that doesn't have a lot of time, or isn't like, once like a, a quick and easy way to eat healthy, what's yeah. a good go-to meal?
0: I'm like the laziest cook in the world. Yeah, that's the best. Though, it's right? the best. Yeah. It's so easy. Like I, <clears throat> like for me, I just look at a food and go carbs, fats, protein colors. Like that's mm-hmm. all I think about. So if, for example, I had no time and I wanted to meal prep five meals, I'd probably get, okay, carbohydrates, rice, quinoa, potatoes, mm-hmm. sweet potatoes, pumpkin, cool. Carb, uh, sorry, carbs, <laughs> protein, chicken, tofu, turkey, mints, something like that. Um, carbs, fats, fats. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> Friday afternoon. Uh, fats, um, avocado, nuts, seeds, olive yeah. oil, and then your colors, your vegetables, your fruits, and like anything else, like kimchi for example, or sauerkraut. That's yeah. be your color. Yeah. That's how I think about it. I don't want to overcomplicate it. I don't yeah. usually make meals that are like composite meals. So mm-hmm. things like curries or stir fries, no. like can't be bothered with that. that. No, can't really oh, I just like cool. for me, like meal, um, comp- like prepping components of meals is easier for me personally. Mm-hmm. So. Big, like doing a big bunch of quinoa or a big bunch of sweet potato or a big bunch of pumpkin, a big bunch of avocado or cut up cucumber, like doing it like that. And then just put it in a bowl and there yeah. we go. Done.
1: Nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, the last question is from Mel and I'm actually interested in, in your opinion on this one. Yeah. Uh, are the oils in alternatively milk in alternative milks really that bad? Yeah, for you? no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so.
0: Um, so oftentimes there's sunflower oil, um, yeah. which is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with them. Um, oils are deemed or sort of um, seen in a bad light. And I guess at the end of the day, like, if they were unhealthy for you, the food standards would not put them in, you know, in the foods. Like, if if these things were really that bad for you, we would know about it and they wouldn't be in the foods. They're not going to kill you. And I guess at the end of the day as well, like, it's not that much oil anyway. Like, you're not having, like, litres and litres and litres of it, so it's okay. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if you're worried about – If you're worried about the oil in your plant-based milk, you've got it good. Like, you're you're doing pretty okay. You know, like, at the end of the day, that's high-hanging fruit. We want to go the low-hanging fruit. Look at the easy stuff. Are you getting your veggies, fruits, your nuts, your seeds, your whole grains? Okay, you might be getting a little bit of oil, that sunflower oil, for example, and not your extra virgin olive oil, but it's not going to kill you. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Still have your plant-based drink or whatever.
1: Yeah. It's not the end of the world. Why do you think it's become a bit of a topic for a certain pocket of, like, people in this space like why why is it getting attacked by certain people do you think like these plant seed oils and stuff
0: probably just somebody said hey like this is really bad for you and then people are just gravitated towards and going okay that's fact. yeah that's bad yeah therefore blah 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 you know it happens all the time like mm-hmm. i don't know there's all these foods that are always like um either put in a highlight like kale for example was like this massive thing a couple of years ago i mean it's fine like it's great but like it's not that cool like yeah, it's just yeah. kale and then other times like foods like um uh like the sunflower oil for example and Coconut oil, for example, like sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. Like what's the answer to it? That, I guess, like when things are kind of put in this light as bad, that's a red flag for me because it's like where did this come from? Like where has this arisen from? And is this actually legitimate? And does it really matter at the end of the day? And the other thing is like, you know, if you're having plant-based milk, like – there's more things to focus on than whether it's got a little bit of oil in. So, for example, calcium. Does it have calcium in? That's really important for your for your bones, for example. Or does it actually have enough protein in? Is it replacing your milk well, really well? Is it, um, you know, um is it something that you actually enjoy? Like, do yeah. you have these plant based milks because you think they're good? And then are you eliminating plant based milks because you're, they've got sunflower oil in and therefore not having any calcium at all?
1: Yeah, what I don't get from from everyone that says that is like, oh, yeah, they're unnatural. I'm like, well, what's natural about a human being <laughs> drinking a cow's milk? <laughs> like, what is yeah. natural about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, like, a pretty, like, what does sunflower oil, like, that is natural. Like, it comes from sunflowers, it's mm. oil from sunflowers. Like, there's process, of course, but everything is processed. Yeah. Like processing is literally canning. It's literally chopping up a food that that's processing to a point. Yes, there's hyper highly processed food or ultra processed foods, which are things like McDonald's, yeah. which, you know, isn't necessarily highly nutritious, but a little bit of sunflower oil and your plant-based
1: milk, like it's okay. Well, question off the back of that. If someone um, is kind of concerned about that, but again, like you said, it's pretty like, it's not nothing that bad, but they do want to Mm. eat foods or or, or take supplements that can counterbalance that sort of stuff. Is there any foods that people can take to balance that if they are concerned about like processed foods?
0: Um, I mean, there's not any foods that like balance it as such, but I'd say like, if you're like, for example, if you're having lots and lots of processed foods, like you're probably displacing a lot of things like your vegetables and your good whole foods. So like, yeah, you probably want to have more whole foods in your diet. Um, In terms of supplements, like, for me, I don't think that supplements are a necessity for anybody unless, like, their diet shows it should be. So, for example, if you're vegan, B12, really, really important. If you're vegetarian, maybe some, I don't know, omega-3s or maybe some calcium or, you know, other things like that to consider. But supplements as a whole, unless you're deficient, usually it's not that
1: yeah. yeah, they're the three things I supplement am B12, and omega, like oh. vegan omegas. <laughs> cool. And you're I don't doing feel well. everyone's like, oh, you, aren't you so tired and you have no energy? like, yeah. no, I have way more yeah. energy than I used to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's important to even like, honestly, like see just somebody, a dietitian, just like, yep, cool, you're on the right track. Because you yeah. don't want to get in 70 years, 70 years, <laughs> when you're 70 <laughs> years old and you have osteoporosis because yeah. you didn't realize that you had to have calcium in your yeah. diet because you're vegan. Yeah.
1: Um, one more question for me and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Um. You've done tri- like a triathlon in the past, or yeah, you've done triathlon. Yeah. That's fucking like epic. <laughs> um. I want to ask you as someone like I'm. I'm doing a half marathon in a, in a Ooh, couple of months. Which one? The City um, the the yeah. uh, Running Festival one. Cool. Um. How does your diet differ when you're preparing for um. a, a try? Particularly in the last, say six to six to six weeks to a month down, when you're starting to really build up, versus when you're not preparing for any big race or competition.
0: Yeah. Um, so I would say that there's two things to consider. I guess like when it comes to your diet, you're probably going to eat more energy, have more energy. Sorry, like more calories because yeah. you're burning more because you're training more. You also probably want to be a little bit more vigilant with things like protein. Protein is really important for building muscle and recovery, and carbohydrates. Carbohydrates really important for that energy. So that I guess overall will probably change. When you're training, that will be important too. So, for example, like what you're eating before training, what you're eating after training, I guess it depends on how pro you want to be and how well you want to do, but that is something to look out for too. So, for example, pre training, are you getting your carbohydrates in? Post training, are you getting your protein and your yeah, carbs in? Yeah. But at the end of the day, like pre and post training is important, but if you're not getting your whole diet right anyway, like you, there's no point in doing the pre and yeah, post yeah.
1: training stuff. What about the day before the big event? What are you Yeah. Eating? What should I eat? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> essentially <laughs> carbohydrates. Yeah, absolutely carbs. carbohydrates. Yeah. yeah,
0: to be honest, a couple of days before your event, start increasing carbs, your carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I eat heaps of carbs. Already the only mind, thing, yeah. the only thing I'd mention is that like a lot of the time, um, people kind of change up their diet so drastically in the oh, first couple of days or yeah. the days before. Don't do that. Nah, Don't do it nah. because you'll probably get like diarrhea or something
1: yeah. <laughs> on your half marathon. That's one thing I learned the hard way, like yeah. with martial arts, like with our gradings, because like to get in when you black belt each level up, you go in black belt. Like, it starts – the first level was, like, a three-and-a-half-hour grading and my latest one was, like, a five-and-a-half-hour wow. grading. Like, if you're a Red Sash, it's over, which is, like, even higher than Black Belt, the gradings are, like – they do, like, 20 hours oh. over, like, three days. It's, like, oh. ridiculous amount of training. And when I notice, okay, I have this big thing, I'm going to, you know, eat all these extra things to make sure
0: – Just
1: <laughs> I just stick to what I know <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. it's so much safer.
0: Absolutely. Don't yeah. change it, yeah. honestly. And, like, even with your – like, when you're, um, tra- like, actually doing the half marathon or whatever, mm-hmm. like – don't eat something that you don't know you're going to yeah, eat yeah, or yeah. like even just pre- breakfast before, like just stick to what you know. Yeah. That is the best advice yeah, I would give. Don't. sure. All
1: sure. right. Um, we'll wrap up, Alice. Thank you so much for coming Pleasure. in. I appreciate it. It was a bit of a different episode. I loved, again, I'm pretty stupid about all this stuff. So I loved <laughs> asking the questions yeah. to someone who really knows their shit. Um, For anyone that wants to, you know, check out some of your content, maybe reach out, get in touch, where's the best place someone can find you? Probably
0: Instagram. Hey, like, so it's just alicebleithman underscore dietitian. That's probably the best way. You can find my website and stuff on there. Yeah, My website's alicebleithman.com. Yeah. Well,
1: we'll link link all your details in the podcast show notes anyway. So thanks again. I appreciate it so much. Pleasure, Dylan. Thank Thank you. you. All right. There we go. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, could you please do me a quick favor and hit the follow or subscribe button? I honestly appreciate it more than you know.